Hey, listen, I want to welcome everybody here in Lithopolis, everybody tuning in live in Lancaster at our Lancaster location. If you're watching this online, Christmas is around the corner. How many of you already have your tickets? Raise your hand if you've got tickets online. Wow, okay, a lot of you in Lithopolis, maybe you're new, you don't know this, but we want you to reserve a ticket. And here's why. Christmas is a time when we see more people than ever cross through the doors of our church. And we want to make sure there's room for every person and every experience. And so what we've done is we've given you guys these invites. Now, this is not for you. This is, you're, you're already invited if you're part of this church or you're here, okay? This is for you to invite and bring someone with you this Christmas season. You know, it is well known that more people are likely to go to church around Christmas than any other time of the year. So use this as an opportunity. Leverage this to invite a neighbor, invite a friend, a coworker, someone that maybe you've been thinking about. Say, hey, listen, I don't know if you have plans for Christmas, but I'd love for you to come with me to Christmas at the X. Listen, it's going to be an incredible time. And please, please reserve tickets. you got to get on there and reserve tickets. And we just want to make sure everybody has, has a room, has a seat. There's no cost involved. It's just an RSV process. But I hope you're excited about Christmas we only have a couple more weekends until we get there. And so I'm excited about that. And I'm really excited as well about just the series that we're in. If you're new with us, we've been in a series of conversations around the word exceed. We, we really believe here at this church that God wants to exceed your greatest expectations. That God is so much bigger, God is so much greater than anything we could ever imagine. And we believe that. And really where it comes from is based on this one verse found in the Bible, Ephesians 3.20. Now, I've been challenging you. If you're a part of this church, I've been challenging every single person here to say, listen, maybe you don't have any of the Bible memorized, you don't know anything, but if we could get one verse memorized, I would say, let's make it Ephesians 3.20. It is a promise, it is a truth that will revolutionize your life and the way you see God. So my quick question to all of us today is this. How many of you maybe think you have it memorized by now? Raise your hand if you think you got it memorized. Is there anybody? Do you do? Hey, you come up here. Come up here. Come on, come on. Come on. Who was it? One of you did. Come on. I want you to. Come on. Everybody, come on. Put your hands together. Listen. Come on. One of the Hatfields. Come on. I want someone to come up here and do it. Do you want to do it? Come on. Come on up. Come on, Andy. Let's go. Andy's going to do it. Put your hands together for Andy. I've just pushed. You right into this. Come on, you got this. It doesn't matter. I'll let you go any version. You got NIV, don't look at the screen. You got NIV, whatever it is. Let's, let's try this, let's try this, okay, Andy? All right, don't look at the screen. Close your eyes. Don't look at it, close your eyes. Okay, Ephesians 3.20, they're gonna stick it up on the screen and, and, and you're gonna kill it. I got this, right? We're gonna start with the word now. So let's go, okay, ready? Just do it, close your eyes. Now to him who is able to do more than imagine, oh, yeah, more than I can exceedingly <laughs> abundantly <laughs> above all that. Oh, see, can I ask her? I can ask or imagine according to his power that is working me. That's it. That's good enough. That's good enough. Give it up for Andy. That's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure. Come on. I love it. Good job. She's getting it. Hey, listen, you don't have to have it perfect and know the truth and have it inside of you. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. I would love for you to get that in your spirit so that you thought about God in those terms. So when you look at your situation, you think about God in that way. 
that no matter what I'm going through, I'm going to know that I have a God who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that I'm in and that I'm asking him to do. And that's what we're doing as a church. And so if you're new, you're stepping into this conversation this season about what's next for us as a church, both here and in Lancaster, the vision that God has for us is we're building a new facility in Canal Winchester, and you see the progress happening all the time, and our plans are that we're going to move our Lithopolis location over to Canal Winchester. Lancaster, I just want to look at that camera because everybody freaks out every single time we do this. Lancaster, you're still going to be in Lancaster. We're, we don't want to leave Lancaster. We believe God has incredible things to do above and beyond what we could imagine for the people in Lancaster. But, but we're doing it not just for us. I mean, you look around, it's pretty full in here, but we're not doing it just for us. We're doing it for the community around us. We're doing it for Central High. We're doing it because we believe that there's a message of hope that we want to share, and we want to take it to the to this area. Now, here's what we're doing as a church to prepare for it, because this, this next year is going to be a year of great challenge for us. It is a year where, where we are stepping out in faith financially. And so what we're doing is we do this every year, but next weekend, listen, it's going to be a powerful, powerful experience. Next weekend, December 12th, December 15th, uh, we're going to be taking up our end of the year offering. If you're new, we do this every year. We just believe that we have to give gifts to so many different people at Christmas time. We say, well, let's not ignore the one who made Christmas possible. Let's give a gift to God because of what he has done for us and bringing Jesus to this world. And let's help advance Jesus' heart, his mission, which was the church. And so we're inviting everybody to bring a, a gift, a sacrificial gift. This is above and beyond. This is not a regular giving. This is a free will thing. You don't have to do it if you don't want to, but I believe there's a blessing when we do it. That's what we've learned through this series. And not only that, but we're also going to be bringing a commitment. Now, you should have received when you came in an Exceed Commitment card. If you want to look at that, uh, we're not collecting these today, but I wanted to put it in your hands so you could take it with you and be praying and talking as a family and say, what, what could we do over this next year above and beyond our regular giving? Now, some of you maybe are new and maybe you have enjoyed coming here, but you've never started giving. I just want to encourage you, this is a great time to begin that. Get in the journey. We believe that generosity is a privilege to give back to God because of all that he's given to us. And so I want to encourage you to be pray, praying about this. And next week, we're going we're gonna to give our commitments along with our end of the year offering for one year. We talked about this in week one. We want to bridge that gap for all those that, that God is calling us to reach. And listen, I, I, I want to tell you that the, the task in front of us is huge. It's big. But one of the reasons why I have confidence that God's going to come through is because I've seen it before. I've seen it before. In fact, here in Lithopolis, you should know this because many of you are new and you started coming to this church in the last few years maybe. You should know that our church, we're really small. This is about 12 years ago when a small group of us, about 60 to 80 adults and some kids, um, all did the same thing. We went all in on this place. And we gave above and beyond, sacrificially. Many of you are sitting in a seat that someone sacrificed to give for. And, and I know so many of you have been touched by the ministry and what God has done here. It's because a small group of people believe God for something greater than we could ever imagine. 
And I think about all that God has done since we made that step. I'm telling you, when you take a step of faith into something unknown, it will give God an opportunity to release something you've never experienced before. In our church, can I tell you what's happened since we came to Lithopolis? We've seen thousands of people give their lives to Jesus Christ. We've been able to launch Lancaster location and see God reach thousands of people. We've had over a 1,000 people say yes to Jesus in Lancaster. That was birthed out of Lithopolis. I want you to see something. It's because a small group of people took a big step of faith that we saw this. And I just want you to know something. It's going to be a little emotional for me when we do move next summer, we think. And because Lithopolis is always going to have a special place in my life. Uh, you know, when you see God begin to propel the vision forward that you have, uh, you, you don't ever want to forget that. In fact, Lithopolis is, is so special of a place. I'm going to spend so much of my time before Jesus comes back here. Let me explain that. I don't live in Lithopolis, um, but when I die, my body's going to be buried in the Lithopolis Cemetery. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying I want that anytime soon, but I, I want you to understand that, okay? Now, it's not because, like, I just want you to understand, when we moved our church here, um, I'd never even heard of Lithopolis. I hadn't. Um, but, but this is the reason why I'm going to be buried in Lithopolis. Let me tell you why. It's not really because our church really got launched here, although I want to say that's it. But really, it's because um, my wife's parents, this was several years back when, you know, family was getting older. Uh, and I think one of the family members had died, and they went to the cemetery, and they were offering a killer deal on burial plots. Just wanted to see if you got that one. No, seriously, it was a BOGO. I don't know if you've ever, did you know? I'm not joking. Do you know they'll offer buy one, get one? So if you go and buy a burial plot and you don't get buy one, get one, you're getting ripped off. And, and it was such a good deal that my wife's parents bought a bunch of them. And they said to us, my wife and I, they said, hey, we got a bunch of burial plots. We got one for you and your wife. And I said, thank you so much, because I don't want to buy something like that. But to have that, that's pretty special. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I was actually there this fall, and um, not just hanging out and visiting, all right, piece of ground, you know, one day, you and me. It wasn't like that. Uh, but when you're a pastor, you know, that's one of the things. You spend some time in cemeteries. You do. You, you, per, you do a lot of uh, funerals. And this last fall, we actually, I performed a funeral for my wife's grandfather, George, who passed away. And he's actually one of the founding members of our church. All the way back when we first started, he was one of the ones that was here from the very beginning. And, and I was in the cemeteries, in the graveyard. And if you spend... Anytime in a graveyard, I, I know that's weird to say, and maybe you don't, but if you've unfortunately had to be there, uh, one of the things that I found that I kind of enjoy doing is I actually kind of enjoy reading the tombstones. Now, I don't know if that feels morbid. I don't know if you think less of me because of that, but I actually do. There, there's something that fascinates me about tombstones. I go in, I see these names, and, and, and I look at the names, and I like to look at the dates. I do. I see some. It's like, oh, my gosh, they were born in the 1800s. 
You know, I think about the story. I, I don't know. I have to have a vivid imagination. And so I'll look at these names and I'll see these dates and I'll see a birth date and then sometimes a death date or sometimes you'll see that a husband died but his wife hasn't yet died. So I think about this widow who's living without her husband and I, sometimes it has the date they got married on it. And sometimes they even have a little epitaph that's on there that'll say something. She was a loving mother, a faithful wife, a, something like that. I, I, I read these tombstones and I can't help but think that every stone tells tells a story. I just can't help but think that. That every stone that you go in and you read, I picture, and I was like, there's a story. Oh, my gosh, here's a child that died. I can't imagine the grief the parents must have felt. Every stone tends to tell a story, and every epitaph inscribed on a stone is kind of, for me, it's like a headline of their life. It's a story, and, you know, it got me thinking about how, how you and me and our lives, like, our story, our story is, is something that one day somebody is going to write about, maybe in stone. And I couldn't help but think that maybe these are a headline of their life. And I just want to know, if you had a chance today to write the headline of your story, can I ask, how would it read? Well, you know, he, he graduated from college, and he was one of the first in our family to do it. That'd be awesome. What an achievement. You know? He was a model citizen. Didn't cause a lot of problems. She, she was a devout wife. These are great things, you know? He worked 40 years for the same company and then retired and moved to Florida. What would the headline of your story be? Can I just tell you that I hope those things are good. I want to experience those things. But can I just tell you, I sure hope those things are not the headline of my story. I would love the headline of my story to be something. Because he lived and he served God, hundreds of families and generations were changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, wouldn't you like that kind of headline? Wouldn't you like a headline over your life? life to say because she existed generations of youth came to know Christ maybe even the next Billy Graham came was in her Sunday school class that she taught faithfully for 50 years at the same church you see we all are going to have a headline written over our lives and I think that deep down inside of all of us maybe we don't think about it but I bet all of us we want a headline that matters here's what I know is that you want your story to be significant. And, and you may never be a pastor. You don't have to be a pastor to be significant. In fact, I think you can make just as much impact in the kingdom of God than a pastor can, maybe more. We, we do. We want that. Can I just also say this, that I believe that God writes headlines, and there are headlines that are also written over churches. Not, not just over people, but over churches. And I want to say this, that if you are a part of this church, when I say a part of this church, I, I, I want to go a little bit further than maybe you just attend here. When I say a part of this church, I want to say you invest here and you give your time, you give your finances, you give your life, you give your energy, you tell your friends, your family, you post on social media, you invite people at Christmas time. You, you are invested, you are a part of this church. Can I just tell you that you are being written into and a part of the story that God is writing for X Church. That you can be a part of the headline that God is writing over our church. And I just believe that our church right now is in such a significant place. That we're in such a significant season. That, that where we are right now, that there is a headline that is being written over our church. 
And I don't know what that headline looks like, and it's going to be written, and it's still being written. And it'll be written long after I'm gone and not leading this church, and this church is still going to carry on long after me because this church is not built on me but on Jesus Christ. But let me just tell you, I pray that the headline that is written over X church is that it's not about the people, it's not about the pastor, but that this church was one that changed the cities, that changed Lancaster, that changed Canal Winchester, that changed Central Ohio, that because this church existed, that there are many, many people that came to know Jesus. I pray that the headline that's being written over this church is so impactful. And listen, if you're, if you're a part of an active part of it, then I want you to know you're part of that headline. And I believe that all of us in our lives, let me just say this, I believe every single one of us that want a significant story, that there are going to be times in our lives where we are going to come right to the edge as we are as a church in a season like this. You're going to come right to the edge of, of a promise that God has, you're going to come right to the edge of the blessing of God, God wants to do through your life. You're going to come to a crossroads in your life where there's a decision that you will make that will change the course of your headline. There are significant moments in all of our stories. There are significant moments in your life where you're going to make a major decision that is going to change your destiny. And I believe that we are in one of those places right now as a church. I want you to know how significant this move feels to me. The step that we're taking, going all in, building a facility so big that we just believe God's gonna fill it. I just want you to know that I think we're at one of those places. And when you get to the edge, there, you're often faced with a legitimate decision, what are you gonna do? When you get to right to the edge of that. And I wanna share a story with you. If you got your Bible, if you brought one, if you don't own one, that's fine, we're glad you're here. We'll put the verse up on the screen. We'd love to give you one if you don't have one, free of charge. But I want you to open up to the third book of the Bible in the Old Testament, book of Numbers. Um, or fourth book, actually. Thank you. I just I didn't think that. Calculate that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. The fourth book. Numbers chapter 13. I, I want you to open up. Now, the, the Old Testament is really a story that we've taken in the Christian faith and put it with our story of Jesus because really everything in it pointed to Jesus. But it's a story of a certain people group, and that is the nation of Israel. And in Numbers chapter 13, I'll give you the context, and then we'll jump into this passage. Uh, God had just led the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, where they had lived for over 400 years. In fact, they used to have this land in Canaan that God had given and promised to a man named Abraham. And then their families, they got older in a famine, they went to Egypt, and they ended up getting enslaved there. And so God sent Moses, you might know this story, and he performed these amazing miracles. And God brought them out of Egypt in the land of slavery, he took them through the desert for a little short stint where he gave them the Ten Commandments and those great things. And then he took them to the edge of the promised land. That's what we get to in Numbers 13. And right before they're about to go in, this is land that God had promised to them. God told Moses to send in a scout team to go and to survey the land. And I want to pick up this story, if you got your Bible, Numbers chapter 13, verse 27 through 29. We'll start with that portion of the story. And here's what happened when these 12 scouts came back from 40 days in the land. One from each of the tribes of Israel. That was the 12 they sent. It says in verse 27, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. Verse 28. What's the first word? We're going we're gonna to look at this word. The first word is but. 
He said, but the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea along the Jordan. Now let's pause there. Moses sent in this scout team, which really were actually journalists. He sent in journalists into the land, because all they were supposed to do, these were reporters, were come back and report to us on the land. They weren't supposed to fight. They were just supposed to write. That was the plan. That's what God sent them to do. He sent them in. And they, they went in, and they came back, and their description, their report that they wrote for Moses, they said, this land is insane. This is some of the best property, beachfront property you could imagine. This is some of the best Land, I mean, what God said when he said, I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey, this is it. Now, I'll just be honest with you. Every time growing up, I, I would hear this promise of a land flowing with milk and honey. All I could really picture is Willy Wonka in the chocolate factory and chocolate mountain fountains and bit of honey. And I don't know when, I don't know what you picture, but basically it was a metaphor for the land was so prime, so fertile, so amazing in fact, they came back at harvest time, and they brought with them a cluster of grapes. And it was so large that two men had to carry this cluster of grapes on a pole. That, that's how great this land was. you got to remember they came from slavery. Egypt had been in the desert for two years. I mean, this looked incredible. And they said, the land is perfect. And then you saw what verse 28 said, right? It was so good, it was perfect, just like we always heard, but... Yeah, you ever had something in your life that it was you, you wanted to buy or something you wanted to get, and it was so perfect, but for one little thing, like this car, this used car is just what I was looking for, the right miles, perfect color, oh, it's so beautiful, not a scratch on it, but the person smoked, and I just, oh, I can't handle the smell. You, you know what I mean? Or you, you went to that neighborhood, and you saw the perfect house on the perfect lot in the perfect neighborhood. It was your dream home, but somebody was already living in it. That's kind of, that's what happened here. And it says that they came back and they gave this report. And it was like, it is so opportune. It is so amazing. Can I tell you something that I've, I've learned about life that I see in this story? And some of you, if you maybe live life long enough, you'll experience this. And that is this. Almost every opportunity that we get always comes with an obstacle. Have you ever noticed that every incredible opportunity you're going to get? Now, I know we think life is just going to get handed to us on a silver platter. Can I just tell you that's probably not how it works? Most of us have seen. And even the greatest opportunities in your life, can I just say it, are going to usually come with a but. Like ever, like you get the most incredible job opportunity, a promotion like you've always dreamed about. Let me tell you, it's always going to come with a but. But you got to move. But it's going to demand so much more of your life. You get the opportunity to buy your dream house. You, oh, it's going to be so incredible. But there's going to be more mortgage, more maintenance, more mulching. Can I tell you? There's always a but with every opportunity. You, you finally meet the person of your dreams. If you, could, if you could describe or create the person you would spend the rest of your life with, it is her, it is him. They are the perfect person, and you get to marry them, but you also get to marry their family. 
You know what I mean? There's always a but with every opportunity. I think this is important for us to grasp today because here's what I've often seen. So many of us, we have this mindset that if God is in it, it'll be easy. If God is in it, then I'm not going to face any real fights. If God is behind it, then I'm not going to have to struggle through it. This is what we think a lot of times as Christians. And I understand why many of us is because your life was a mess, which is why you sought out a church or somebody that had hope, and they told you about Jesus, and you were just thinking, okay, he's going to put all the pieces of my life back together. And listen, God wants to do that and will do that in your life, but it doesn't mean that it will not come without obstacle. I just want you to understand that just because God is in something doesn't mean that it's easy. Just because you're in the middle of God's will doesn't mean that you're not going to face opposition. You're not going to have fights. You're not going to have struggles. Even when you're trying to follow God, you might have fights at home. When you're pursuing what God's put in your heart, you might find more opposition to the dream God's placed in your life than ever could imagine. I need us to understand this because I think a lot of times we, we get this idea that if God's leading me to do it, then it's going to be smooth sailing. Let me just tell you that that's, that's not how it works. You're going to face opposition in every opportunity, especially the ones that God leads you to. You know what I've discovered? I discovered there's two times in my life, there would be two times in your life when you can expect opposition. Here's what those two times are. One, if you're running away from God's will, and two, if you're running into God's will. Did I cover them all? Did I leave any of them out? I just want you to understand this. You're going to face opposition, and it'll look different, but you will. How do I know this? Because Jonah the prophet, when God sent him to Nineveh, said, uh-uh, I'm going another direction. Now, God will always let you walk in the direction you want to walk in. God loves you enough to let you go wherever you decide that you want to go, because he's not looking for a robot. But let me tell you this, God also sent a storm to get Jonah's attention and say, you need to turn around. And I'm telling you this, you might for a while go run, and some of you, I want to say this, maybe someone in Lancaster, someone here in Lithopolis, that you're here today, but in your mind or your heart, you're running away from God. You're here because you don't want anybody to know around you that you're actually disconnecting. You're actually thinking, I don't want to do this. I want to do life on my own terms. Can I tell you, God will let you do that. But one day you're going to wake up in a pigsty like the prodigal son saying, how did I get here? I had no idea I was going to end up in this place. And if you're going to end up in that place, it's because God is going to oppose you enough because he loves you to get you to come back to him. That's the most loving thing that God can do, by the way, in us. But I also found that when you run with God or into God's will, you can expect opposition. You're not going to find that opposition from God. God's with you. But God has an adversary, Satan, a spiritual enemy. And when you run with God, guess what? You have an adversary. And that adversary wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He's like a devil prowling around looking for someone to devour. And when you try to step into something that God wants to use you to do something significant in your family, at work, in the marketplace, you better expect some opposition. Don't think that you, listen, when we set out and bought that piece of property, we sent notice to the devil that we're taking ground back from the enemy that is going to be used to bring heaven down to this area. Don't think for one second the moment we did that that we weren't about to face opposition. We faced more opposition than I could ever imagine. 
I, I love what the Apostle Paul said. You know, here's a guy that actually opposed the work of God until he met Jesus. And then he changed sides. And then he faced opposition. And Paul said something in Acts 20 that I found so profound that I wanted to share with you. Listen to what he said, Acts 20, 22, and 23. He said, and now I'm compelled by the Spirit. Don't miss that. This wasn't his own motive. I felt like the Spirit of God was compelling me. He said, I am going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Verse 23, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. If the Apostle Paul said, I am compelled by the Spirit of God to go. God's given me opportunity, but I know that every place I go, I'm facing hardship. Then why do we think that we're not going to face opposition? And I say this because, listen, some of you get right to the edge of the dream in your heart. You get right to the edge of the promise that God has for you. And on the other side of it is an obstacle. On the other side is I'm going to have to quit my job. I'm going to have to give up this. I'm going to have to start doing this. I'm going to have to step out and do this. And I get scared real fast. And then I'll just say, well, okay, I guess God doesn't want me to do it because there's giants in the land. There's fortified cities. No. Don't, don't, don't go with that logic. If you're running into God's will, just better face Expect to face opposition. And I think Caleb in this moment, now Caleb is one of the 12. Caleb begins to sense something. The land's great, but, oh my gosh, the people are so big and the armies, and, and he's sensing something. And so Caleb jumps in real fast. I like what he says. Let me, let me read it, verse 30 through 33. It says, then Caleb, he silenced the people, shh, before Moses. And he said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Man, he was confident. And then, verse 31, put that up. Um, again, look at that word. But. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. Verse 32, and they spread among the Israelites a bad what? Everybody say it, a bad. See, they're reporters. They had one job. Go and report on the land. And they spread a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. Really? Really? You saw the land just suck people up and it devoured them. And come on now, we're getting a little dramatic. They said, um, all the people we saw there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there. And the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. They said, we seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and oh, we look the same to them. I want you to know something, that all 12 of these men saw the exact same thing, but they didn't all have the same report. They, they all saw the same thing, all 12. It said that, and what we learned later is it wasn't just Caleb by himself, but there was another guy with him. His name was Joshua. We learned that in Numbers 14. But Caleb's the one that spoke up in this moment. And what we discover in this, this text is that two of them saw the blessing. Ten of them saw the battle. Two of them saw an opportunity. Ten of them saw the obstacle. This is, listen, I want you to see this because in your life, you're going to come up against some things. And how you see that situation 
might determine whether or not you step into the promise God has for you or you remain in the place that you were. And I think as people of faith, if we're going to say, I got faith, that we ought to have a different vernacular than the rest of the world. We ought to have a different language. We ought to see things differently and be able to speak differently about our situations even when they look hard. It's funny because as we've been going through this building process, I have to meet with our builder like every other week we have these planned meetings. And the project manager and the owner will meet with us and kind of go over, hey, this is what's going on, and these are the changes, and here's some of the challenges that we're having. And I can tell that they got this thing. You know how every organization has their thing. They've got this thing where they try to take certain words out of their vocabulary. It's real cute when they do this. They try not to use words like problem. We got a problem. Nobody wants to hear that. Hey, we got a challenge. Nobody wants to hear that. We got a situation. And so they'll catch themselves mid-sentence all the time and make this little smirk. It's hilarious. The project manager is always doing this. He was like, hey, yeah, man, we just met with the city, and we got a problem. I mean, we got an opportunity. And they'll use the word opportunity instead. Hey, we got a challenge. I mean, we, we got an opportunity. We got a $45,000 opportunity in front of us. We, we were considering this, but it's an amazing opportunity to redo something underground that nobody's going to see. Oh, that happens a lot. If you don't get in construction, well, you won't understand it. I think, though, there is something to that, that maybe we need a different vernacular if we're going to have faith. That if we don't start looking at our situations and our problems and start naming them because of the obstacle, but rather we begin to speak to it about the opportunity. Here's what I want you to see. They, they, they saw the same thing, but they had a different report. They saw the same opportunity, but a different report. And I want you to do something in your life. And I want to speak this because some of you got some situations in your life that are really scary. Some of you have some things that you're up against, maybe even your dream, maybe even the vision God's given you for your life. Maybe you're unsettled where you are in life, and God's been speaking to you, and he's going to nudge you, and he's going to encourage you. But all you see are the obstacles, the challenges with us doing that. Can I just tell you that if you have faith, you have new eyes, a new lens to see your situation we walk by faith and not by sight. When I know that God is with me, that it changes no matter what I'm walking into. When I know that God is fighting for me, I know I'm not alone in what he's calling me to do. You see, when you have faith, you can write a different headline over your story. Cancer might be attacking my body, but it will not touch my spirit because God is with me. She might have walked out of me in that situation, but God is with me, and he has better in store for me than we could ever imagine. You might have come from a family that's divorced and broken, but your life does not have to be broken and represent that. I just want you to know, you can respond. There's two ways to respond. We can respond in fear. Fear will always cause you to run away from God's promise because it'll look scary. I think a lot of us wish that all of the promises that God has for us is like the, it's just uninhabited land. I just walk into homes I didn't build and sacrifice for. I just, and fear will cause us to, to shy back, to run away, to be afraid of. But can I tell you that when you have faith, 
Faith gives you the opportunity to write a new headline over your story. And I don't know your story, but I know this truth. You didn't get to choose your story. Let me say this to every one of you. You didn't get to choose your story. I don't get to choose mine. You don't get to choose yours. Some of you have a story that is filled with a lot of pain. You lost a child. You were abused when you were younger. She left you. He died way too young. We filed bankruptcy. I've got a record. Listen to me. Some of you, you need to understand in your situation that maybe you didn't choose it. Maybe somebody did something to you. Or maybe you did choose some things that are part of your story. But I want to say something that you need to hear today. It doesn't matter how your story starts. Sometimes I think we read the headline that's over our life too soon. I, I failed too much. Your story, it doesn't matter how it started. I think about the Israelites. They started in slavery. They started in Egypt. But thankfully, we don't write the headline about how they started. We write the headline over what God promised. Listen, I, your life, maybe, listen, you may have started out with addiction. Your story doesn't have to end with addiction. Can I say that today? You, you may have started out with two divorces. That doesn't mean that you have to end up alone. You may have started out with an absent father. It doesn't mean you have to become one. I just want you to know, just because your story started one way doesn't mean it needs to end one way. Because when you have faith in Christ, when you trust in him with your life, can I tell you, God will redeem every situation in your life. Everything that has happened to you, everything maybe you decided and you did that was wrong, God says, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to turn it and I'm going to use it for good. God will use your story to create a new headline, maybe one that will reach others. And I want you to understand this. How you write the headline of your story determines whether you stay in your place or you step into what God has for you. You see, the Israelites, they, the ten of them ended up spreading such a bad report. The headline that those ten wrote was so defeated, so discouraging, so full of fear, that all the rest of Israel followed them. And because of that, God did not allow them to go into the promised land. God said, I'm not going with you. And here's what happened because of that. Every single one in that generation died in the desert, except for two people. There were only two people from that generation that went into the promised land. It was recorded for us. Can you guess who it was? Caleb? And Joshua, I don't want your story to end in the desert. And how you write the headline, this happened to me, but this does not define who I am. This is what I did, but this does not define who God says I am. This is what happened, but listen, I'm going to choose by faith to write a new headline. And what I'm, I'm deciding as a pastor in this church, as I'm leading our church, Listen, is that we're going to write a headline that is full of faith, not fear. Because we found ourselves, I found myself last year right at the edge, crossroads. I had to make a decision last fall. 
You see, we were up against so much opposition. I didn't know if this was ever going to happen. And then all of a sudden, last summer, things began to shift. I could tell God did something. There was a breakthrough. And all of a sudden, things with the city began to shift. Things began to change and move forward. And all of a sudden, last fall, I was faced with a, a huge decision. I told you that you're going to find in your life there's moments with significant decisions that will determine the headline that is written over your life. I was in one of those places last fall. I, we got the green light from the city. And I was staring at this decision. Do we now, after a lot of things we'd gone through, and do we make the decision to move forward? And by the way, in the delays that we had, the cost for the project went up significantly, millions of dollars. And so the step of faith became a leap of faith. And I didn't know what to do. And I got to be honest, at first, I'm wanting to respond like the 10. I know the land is great. I believe the property is amazing. But there's some giant obstacles. A mortgage. There's some giant obstacles standing in front of us. And I didn't know what to do. And I, I sought counsel. I'm asking pastors and friends and mentors. I talked to the board. I talked to the president of the funding company. I said, listen, it just went up in cost. You see where our finance It just went up in cost. I know, I know, but we also believe that if you don't build now, you're never going to build with what's going on. And I got to this point where I felt the pressure. Do we go forward? Do we not? Do we stay in something safe that we know? Or do we step into the unknown? It was scary. And I, I sought God. Man, I'm telling you, I prayed. By the way, these are the moments when you need direction in your life. You want to know one of the greatest things you can do? Fast. That's what I did. I, I didn't eat for days. No food. I was desperate. I was like, God, I need, I need a word. I need to know. I started looking at schools, other opportunities in there. I thought, okay, listen, that's too big. Maybe, though, we sold this building. We're going to need to move out. Maybe we find another space. Maybe we'll go portable for a while. Then maybe we'll see. And every door I went to was closed in my face. Oh, no, there's construction at the high school. Sorry, you can't use it. Oh, no, this isn't going to work. Every door I, want, I went to was, was closed. And yet there was a green light to move forward with this project. As you can tell, it's going up. And I was scared in that moment. I just wanted, and I was praying, God, I just want to know how it's going to work out. I just want a guarantee that it's going to work out. And guess what I discovered? God doesn't give guarantees. He just gives direction. God won't tell you what it's going to look like because if you knew what it would look like, you wouldn't trust him in the process. And God doesn't give you guarantees. Some of you, you've got a purpose in your heart. You've got a dream God's placed on you, and you haven't stepped into it because you've been too afraid, and you're waiting for some guarantee. You're waiting to not have obstacle. And I'm telling you, that's not faith faith is when God moves you to do it and you step out you say I don't have a guarantee but I do have direction and I felt like God gave us direction and so we're going and we're stepping out and we're going to give and we're going to trust God and I believe he's going to bring provision so my question to you today as I talk about our church in this place is that many of you are maybe in this kind of place personally what is that thing that fear has you bound in today. The fight that you're in that you're afraid of taking on. I just pray that God would do something today to release that fear. We need to release it to him. And he wants to fill it with faith. I trust in him. I believe in him. Amen, church? Come on, y'all stand on your feet, both locations. Just bow your heads and pray with me.
God, I, I come to you right now. Just, Lord, I pray for every situation represented here in this church. God, I know that there are people under the sound of my voice that, God, they're facing some scary situations. Maybe it's a physical scare. Maybe it's a financial scare. They're not sure how they're going to make it. Maybe it's an emotional thing that has them full of fear. God, I pray today that you would do a work in our hearts. Listen, as we're praying, I just, I just felt like I, I wanted to, and I felt like God was just prompting me to pray over you if you've got a situation in your life that you're afraid of right now. If you got something that you're walking through that really has you bound in fear, you're afraid, or maybe there's a decision in front of you that you're not sure what to do in making it, that I believe that God wants to speak to your heart today. God wants to give you some direction.